This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. for March 2nd, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on the dedicated Open the Voice Gate feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box that says sponsor the show and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donations. I'm one of your hosts, it's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Join us always, my co-host and good friend, Case Lowe. In case we finally are getting to the meat of the Dragon Gate year. It's been two very long months, but we have the doubleheader in Osaka Edeon 2 this week, and Champion Gate is upon us, and I'm ready for these shows. Like, I don't think I can kind of tolerate another few weeks of how Dragon Gate's uh, kind of been spinning its wheels as of late. You don't want another number one contendership tournament? I mean, it's just like it, it gave them purpose, but not enough purpose for to like make up for some dryness, I would say. Well, we've now hit the one year point of there being no capacity, of there being clapped crowds, of there being some COVID altered state. Because if you remember last year, the two champion gate shows, one on February 29th, one on March 1st. That was the last time Dragon Gate ran with fans until July. The March Corican was canceled. The April and May Corkins were canceled. Dead or Alive did not happen. Uh, then obviously Kobe World was pushed back to the fall of last year. So earlier today I was looking at the Champion Gate Night 1 2019 card. And Mike, I don't know if this show feels like it's a year old or five years old, but you had stuff on the show like Yuki Yoshioka versus Gamma in a singles match. Diamante and Takashi Yoshida versus Doyen Susumu versus Kento Kabune and Masaki Mochizuki in a three-way tag. In that dark match, Martin Kirby and Takedo Kame versus Ho-Ho Loon and Michael Sue. Oh, how things can change in a year. Yeah, I mean, Yuki Yoshioka lost that, last, lost that match against Gamma and has never been seen again. He so. won that match against Gamma and has oh, never I thought been he seen lost again. It. Oh, it oh, is, uh, it, uh, who could forget the epic encounter, the 12-minute singles match between Yuki Yoshioka and Gamma right before the world imploded in upon itself? I mean, it's just, it's wild. And it's been such a crazy year for Dragon Gate since then that it does feel, in a lot of ways, like a completely refreshed promotion. But we still have, like, some keystones that are coming up ahead of us. And, you know, you, you look at all the champions and you look at, all the people who would be challenging and 
really the one match that kind of seems somewhat uh how would i say uh it could have happened in in pre covid if things already like played out is the twin gate like yeah masaki mochizuki and takeshi or takashi yoshida versus bb hulk and kai that makes sense like i can intellectually process it but like the other three title matches these these are we're in a completely different world now case well it's the real charm of this promotion over the past year is the fact that so many things moved around and so many things shifted and you know even just uh you know a year ago saying that Kaisuke Akuda and Hyo were going to be in a singles title match on, on what is a marquee show in the Dragon Gate calendar, a triangle gate match that had a guy named D'Inferno who wasn't introduced, uh, Diamante, who at, even at this point last year, I don't think had taken the, the major strides of improvement that he has since, and Hip Hop Kakuta, who wasn't on the roster in March and February of 2020. He was He debuted in May or maybe even early June on the empty arena shows, that's just night one of Champion Gate. And then, yeah, night two, that Kaito Ishida versus Shun Skywalker match is something that, again, maybe there's a little bit of a disconnect between the Western audience and the Native audience, but I know for me that feels like a hot match, that feels like one that I'm really looking forward to, and one that we will preview later on in this show. Yeah, before we get there, there was one show on the network we're going to talk about the debut in Tokiwa Arena in Kobe. And as well, we have a Corkin that will have happened by the time the show probably gets released. But we're still going to talk about like the the go home show because there's a lot of things that are going to be happening. And in a lot of ways, like the road to Dead or Alive feels like it starts in Corkin versus in after a Champion Gate. I feel like. Well, this is the first time they've ever had the Corkin before Champion Gate, and I spotted that on the schedule whenever it was released a few months ago, and thought, hmm. That looks really weird, and I think the booking of this Corkin shows that where, yes, in one match they're really building towards the Dreamgate defense, and I guess all of the matches on this show, for the most part, have some sort of a preview element, but the hype stuff, matches five and six, the two main events, just unrelated to any of the title matches at champion gate those again feel like dead or alive matches or at least part of the cage match which i'm assuming will happen and we'll talk more about that in just a bit it's a strange show and it's one of those cards where as soon as i saw it i i thought wow this really this really needs to deliver in the ring because i think the february corkin show was a good show a lot was accomplished but it didn't have any great matches and this march show if it's angle heavy, you know, I get it. But two singles matches to close out that show, I'm really looking for at least one, but preferably, preferably both of them to be legitimately great matches. Yeah, and just as a correction, uh, it, the Corkin is on March 4th, not March 3rd. So it, this show will be out before Corkin goes. So our, our preview will be accurate and won't be completely obsolete by the time that this is posted it's just such a weird situation and you know it the weirdness kind of started with this kobe uh tokuwa arena showcase and it's you, you know i'm ready to see the the big direction that i think we're both kind of expecting heading towards dead or alive because then from dead or alive then it's full steam ahead through king of gate into kobe world double header this year and then we're in the hot season where every month has a big event 
So it, it, I, I'm ready for 2020 to really kick off or 2021 to really kick off. And, you know, as much as that there was things that amused me on this Kobe Tokawa arena show, it's just one of those things that you're just like, wow, that's a show that happened. Yeah, two months into the year, I still have no feel for the booking. I don't know what's coming next. I don't know how the rest of the unit shakeups are going to go. It's I, I'm not cold on the promotion because I think the shows, for the most part, have been good. This Kobe one maybe less than others, but it's just it's weird. My I I feel like I almost missed something. Like my finger is so off the pulse on the booking of this product right now. Even this Champion Gate stuff, which I think has been booked really well, I'm looking forward to all of these matches on some level. But when we get into the you know predictions as to who's going to win. I I just I feel like one giant shrug like I just have no feel for how anything is going to go and this Kobe show on the 26th certainly did not help matters. Yeah, so let's get into it. This Kobe show it was in Tokoa Arena. It was their debut there. We talked about this since this was announced. This show was uh, done in Tokoa versus Sambo Hall because of everything happening. Sambo Hall was booked up for when they wanted to run it, so they run this uh, neat venue, uh, Tokoa Arena. It looks like it's pretty bigger. Pre- uh, pretty bigger, that's great. It's pretty bigger. There. Yeah, it's a pretty it, bigger it, venue. It, it, it seems like it's uh, pretty much a little bit bigger. It had more of a stage set up. It kind of reminded me of Wakiyama in that way and how it was set up, and you know, it just felt very different, and that started with an incredibly long opening mic segment where first they did the opening mic, and then Yamake Gun, who will be named on the 4th, thank God. I'm kind of tired of calling it Yamake Gun, just like Shun Gun. They came out with Tetsuya Okawa, Owa, and they were doing the opening mic, and then R.E.D. with Hiroki came out, and then Ishida went after Oiwa. And, of course, uh, Oiwa and Hiroki are K-1 fighters that they brought in here. There are some relationships with both of them with the promotion, more so that Hiroki and Ishida have been kind of doing some interviews or doing some like training stuff and of course uh w- with uh Keisuke Akuda being a former mixed martial artist like I, th- I believe he also knows Oiwa and then Oiwa of course is- he's from Nagoya and he grew up a big Dragon Kid fan so we had a very kind of long but I would say spirited opening mic segment to kick off the show and Hiroki is from Osaka which is where Kaito Ishida is from as well so they had that tie-in as well but yes a very 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 long opening segments and we and before we even got to the first match which was the natural vibes team of kz ginky horikuchi and ut versus the unaffiliated team of masaki mochizuki shuji kondo and kness we had even more of that because during the natural vibes dance to start the show dr muscle appeared and participated in the dance ran to the back and then came back out and was revealed as masato yoshino so masato yoshino was allegedly under the mask as Dr. Muscle, at least at one point of this of this segment, of which like the funny thing about it was that uh, KZ was incredibly happy to see him and was basically fanboying out really hard before this match got underway. The pop that KZ had when Yoshino revealed himself was uh, equivalent to a mid-2000s Noah show when you would hear the, the women calling for Kenta. It had that sort of shriek albeit joy to it it was uh it was a fun little reveal to again continue a very long opening segment 
Yeah, like I feel like it was 25 minutes before the first match started, which was the Natural Vibes versus Unaffiliated Trios match. KZ won with his Spider Twist submission on Kness. And, you know, it was a fun little opening with UT dismantling Misaki Mochizuki, but it was just pretty lighthearted. And given who were all involved in the opener, it just kind of made sense that this was just going to hit its moments. And, you know, we were going to get in and get out of there after 25 minutes of Mike segments. Yeah, I thought this was a fun opener. This is an interesting match where it totally works as an opener, and I think it, it accomplished its goal. I also think if this match is match five on the card instead of match one, even broken down, injured Kness the way he is, these guys could go out there and just kill it and totally steal the show. But they stuck to their role here, fun 10-minute opener, and I, I, I'm really bummed that Kamei is not healthy because... Although I was dead set against it at first, and that's just, you know, again, the natural vibes thing being what it is, is just completely thrown off what I thought the booking was going to be at the start of the year. But I do really like this new incarnation of natural vibes. I think they're a much better, a looser, I think is the term I'm going to use, a, a looser unit than the first incarnation. I think UT and assuming Kamei will fit in just fine. I think they're much better fits than Brother Yashi and punch Tamanaga. So I'm into the natural vibes, and I like this opening match as a fun little three-star affair. Yeah, I went three and a quarter. It was just a good time. Uh, I really like the vibe of this unit as well. Susumu Yokosuka constantly posting photos on Twitter of Kamei and the giant parka. I want the parka. I love it. It's, (laughs) It's every bit as ridiculous as, you know, Kamei wearing that thing. It's like the Tom Brady sideline jacket thing that was a meme a few years ago the jacket is too big on Kamei but I look at that and I think like man I I think I would really like a, a Dragon Gate branded parka I think that would be good for me yeah and it, it's worth it, it's one of those things whenever I look at it then I look up at the uh, machine translations from the native fans and Kamei is incredibly over it seems as just popping up and seeming like he's very pleasant so I think it works and I felt like that it's something that I'm really going to be excited to see the full five-man contingent when it finally comes together. Mike, did this next match make you excited? Is that the word that comes to mind? God, no, because it was Punch Tomonaga versus Kakatora, and it was uh, it was Punch Tomonaga winning with the punch clutch in 8 minutes and 31 seconds, and 8 minutes and 31 seconds I'll never get back in my life. Yeah, there's something particularly off-putting about Kagatora right now. And I don't know what it is specifically. I think it hurts him that he's not in a unit, although that could certainly change with this Cork and Hall show. Mike and I were talking about it off-air. It just seems like if he went away, everything would be okay. You know, because I even feel like when Naoki Tanazaki left the promotion a few years ago, probably five years ago now, Jesus, like Tanazaki was a replaceable figure. You know, Kento, or I'm sorry, Hip Hop Kakuda can do the Naoki Tanazaki role. He can do it better than Naoki Tanazaki. But I enjoyed Tanazaki's entire run and the promotion. I think it sucks that he's gone because the last time I saw him, he could still go and I, and you know, I would welcome him back. Although I don't think that's happening based on what we know. Kakatora is just a guy where I, I don't, I, it's like this promotion passed him by. It's a weird thing where he now 
isn't as flashy of a grappler as UT, and he doesn't do the impressive moves that he does, you know, that he was doing against, say, Tioch and Aza in their tag team matches. He just feels old and tired, and I think this environment is bad for him where, you know, I think he could walk into an All Japan or a Noah tomorrow, and he'd be the best worker in their division because we know Kagatora can be good. He's capable of being great if he wants to be. But he feels very tired. He feels unmotivated, at least through the start of this year. And and I could very easily be forgetting something. But Mike, my memory is telling me he didn't exactly light the world on fire last year either. It's something where, and it's really since arguably the end of Jimmy's, I would say, if Kagatora doesn't have anything that really, I would say, gives him something to like sink his teeth into. He is one of the more by-the-numbers wrestlers, and it's really kind of sad because he is a part of one of my favorite Twin Gate matches in recent memory, uh, Yokosuka Chome versus Amigo Tag. It's just that he's just kind of there, and he and it's a situation where, of course, he's family, he's from Torimon X, he came back, and he's been back in the company now for close to 12 years, if not. Yeah, since 2009. Right. So... It, it, it's something where I just don't know what the whole end game is, I guess, for lack of a better word, because he's, other than get, like getting Brave Gate challenges or being like the second or third on a twin or Triangle Gate team, that's really where it is. And for a guy that has this skill and has this, to like see him like be put in these matches where we, we both knew that this match was going to stink and it stunk like it was I went one and a half stars on it it just was not a good match and it, it's something where I think that and I don't know anything I think that maybe greener pastures are for him outside the company personally and, and he's technically proficient like that's a thing and I acknowledge because talking with people I probably was the low man on that match he had with Shuji Kondo where I just thought it was just interminably long and soulless. But I don't know. And it's something that with a promotion where they're constantly bringing new guys in and they're constantly elevating new guys. I mean, look at the main event here at Champion Gate. It's two guys under the age of 25. If not, Ishida might have turned 25, but 25 and younger. He turned 25 at the end of December. Okay, so 25 and younger. And he's never going to come close to that. He'll never get a Dreamgate shot. And you're just kind of like, it's not that he's taking up space because he's not a bad wrestler. He just kind of exists. And that's the frustrating because he exists when it's just, I don't even want to say he's taking up a slot on the show because he's not, because his, his output when he can have any enthusiasm in something is solid, right? Like, like the Brave Gate match against KSK Akuda at Final Gate was perfectly serviceable, right? Like, I'm not off base saying that. It's just, it, it, it's tough. It's but, tough. But soulless is the exact word. That That is the issue on a roster where you have so many young guys looking to prove themselves. You have fun comedy on the undercard. You have the natural vibe stuff, which feels real and authentic. And then you just, ha- you just have this guy. He's just this guy, and his rep has always been, you know, when he's motivated, he it is not as good as anyone, but can be as special as anyone on his best day. And he's just really, really exposed himself in these moments where he doesn't care. I, you know, I, I, it's been a critique of Shuji Kondo his entire career, but I'll take 
Kondo on his worst day compared to Kakatora on his worst day because I, I you know this is this was a bad match. I mean this is far below the working standard of anything we normally see in Dragon Gate and then you know being in the ring with Tamanaga certainly doesn't help, but I look at the the brunt of this match, the fault if there is one as being on Kagatora and I think it would benefit both sides if they slowly parted ways, but instead I think you know, I think Kagatora could very easily become the fall post of Masquerade, which, think about that, in a unit with Jason Lee, La Stray, and Coach Minora, Kagatora would be the one taking falls, and that really says all you need to know about his upward trajectory in this promotion. Right, yeah. And I think we talked about this longer than this match, and more than it deserves, to be quite honest. So, uh, unless you have any other Kagatora takes, because I completely co-sign with you, like, probably his trajectory, if he's not unaffiliated, is being a fall post somewhere. Like, that's that's the reality of this, and it's just going to be something like he is someone that should be doing these Kyushu Pro shows, to be honest. Like, that's what he should be doing as a part of the company and be part-timing like Kanichiro Rai. And that's not the case. No, unfortunately not. But, you know, luckily, a man in match number three, Diamante, he is, he is you know, in all intents and purposes, become a full-time wrestler here. And I'll be damned, I enjoy me some Diamante. Yeah, you know, I feel like he was a high point in this. So it was... Ultimo and Don Fuji versus the RED team of Diamante and Hio. Hio got the win after a low blow. It was not the Bobby Hill special. It just was a straight up low blow in 10 minutes and 18 seconds. And, you know, Fuji and Hio had some good chemistry in it. Diamante was fine. But then it, it just kind of like all really slowed down. And then Ultimo came in and take, took it easy. And then we got the, we didn't get the full Bobby Hill special. But Diamante is a madman. And those were, those were kind of my takeaways from that. Not a good match, but not a bad match. I two and a half really, stars. Yeah, it, it's exactly. Two and a half, two and three quarters if you're feeling really generous. But with that in mind, and I guess we'll we'll see a little bit more of it on this Quark and Hall show, I really like what they're doing with Hio. I like this character. It's, I think, the perfect defense for Akuda at this point in his Brave Gate run. I really like it, and this was a good showcase for him. This is the most interesting work Hyo has done in his career because you know he obviously came into the promotion and I guess if you're a newer Dragon Gate fan you look at this guy as kind of the weasel of R.E.D. Granted this podcast and all of its incarnations has always been a little bit higher on Hyo than pretty I mean much- I was I was yes I, but I you know I, I was certainly co-signing some of your takes because there was when Hyo debuted and if you're a new fan this will sound insane we were like, God, you know who that guy reminds me of? Michinoku Pro Era Shima. Like, he really just jumped off the screen to us in that big of a way. And now I think we've seen not the culmination, but just the a, a, a special result of that unique charisma that he has where he's now a credible Bravegate challenger. And I really can't rule him out winning the belt this weekend, which I think is an interesting scenario for him to be in. So this was a good showcase for him. Right, yeah, and it's something where he does show a little bit of that December 1st, uh, 2016 match in his character now, and I think that that's very exciting, and it's something where it's a good position for someone like him, especially in a unit that's so inflated like R.E.D. He's someone that could who has basically receded into the background a lot, but since Final Gate, since the uh, Disbands match, he's really kind of come on strong and it's and it's a role that I think that he's well suited for and you know Bravegate might be his ceiling if not being like a twin gate champion but I think that he, this is what I'd want to see out of Hyo and 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 like you it makes a very compelling title offense for Kesuke Okuda. 
Royal Sambo Battle Royal. What happened here, Mike? Well, this was the fourth Royal Sambo, and we everyone set out to discover if someone could stop the Ichikawa. But guess what? He it, he has the biggest streak in wrestling. Like like Undertaker's WrestleMania streak is gone and dead. Any other streak you want to think about is dead. We are living in the era of Konamawa Ichikawa four and four and zero. Oh on Royal Sambo Halls and each way each time he finds a new way to win it that they're going to have to like find a way to like duct tape him like to the mat and then step on him to get the pinfall and to take away his uh, king of Royal Sambo crowd because no one can possibly stop the Ichikawa. It's great. I think this was probably the weakest of the four battle royals there's been, but by the end of it I still loved it, so I, I I can't complain. This is something that I remember when these were first announced. You and I were like, what, "They're doing what now? Who who cares? What is this?" And it has <laughs> turned into a really really fun reoccurring monthly bit. So I'm all for it. Yeah, and, and and our hesitance was because of like the old Dragon Rumbles where it just was just overinflated, and it was just okay. We don't have a spot for everyone on the card. We have too many people booked, so we're gonna throw them at Battle Royal. These, there's at least a plot going on there, and there's nice bits going on, like uh, La Estrella doing the Kuban, uh, Kubashiko common get bit during this match was tremendous. And then also, Takashi Yoshida was living his truth, and after he was eliminated, he was just having the best time of his life watching the finish here, which, ah, uh, geez. Like, they're being really inventive with how each time Konamaui Chikawa wins one of these matches. And, you know, it, it's the match that, you know, 13 minutes, and it's really just... The, the match itself is just kind of there, but the bits that they do in the match are very amusing. And to be honest, with the exception of the semi-main event and the main event, the only things I would say worth going out of your way to watch on the show. Oh, yeah. No, you could start the show with this Battle Royal, and it's probably a little bit less than an hour that is, right. that is worth yeah. your time to consume. I, I would recommend it. If you find yourself somehow needing Dragon Gate content this week— they have three huge live shows on the network. Do you find the time to squeeze this one here if you haven't sque- squeeze it in if you haven't seen it yet? Let's start with the battle royal and then hit the semi main event and the main event, which we can talk about now. Yeah, uh, just so we, we explain this because I realized we didn't talk about the finish. So it came down to four people. I think it was Susumu, Ryo Saito, Bukudamo, and Konamawa Chikawa. Uh, Bukudamo and Konamawa did dual La Marshall cradles on. Sireo and Susumu and during it I forgot if it was uh uh Sireo or Susumu was the one who unmasked Konamawa Chikawa and what happened was like as the referee was like signaling that they're both were out Konamawa Chikawa picked up his mask threw it to Pokudomo and did the fake out uh mask grip to win the match and it was tremendous Eddie Guerrero smiling down upon this match it was a beautifully executed uh play on the old Eddie Guerrero chair spot so well done to all men involved Right. And then we had the semi-main event. This was Masquerade versus R.E.D., Shun Skywalker, Kota Minor, and Jason Lee versus B.B. Hulk, Kai, and Kazuma Sakamoto. Kazuma Sakamoto won with the knee strike, finally, in 12 minutes and 3 seconds on Jason Lee. Look, Kazuma Sakamoto winning, especially against Masquerade. I would keep my eyes peeled. I think there is there is some smoke to that fire, and if anybody in this company deserves maybe a a big featured singles match perhaps against a champion that wears a mask. I think Cosmo Sakamoto might be the next challenger in line. I don't think uh, this result was by accident. I think it's a really bold move to have Skywalker not get the fall here. 
But who is he in the match with? He's in the match with Hulk, who's a champion, with Kai, who's a champion, and with Sakamoto. And if he beats Sakamoto, there's no program there. So I think this was done very, very intentionally. Yeah, and I mean, there'll probably be another defense, I would say, probably in Wakayama. Yes, I, I would say that's a safe bet. So, so I mean, that that's a pretty quick build, I mean, and of course, that you haven't beat Lee this time, he can beat uh, Minonora next time, and then eventually, you know, gets a... I don't know if they're going to let, let him pin Shun, though, before the title match, because Shun's gone undefeated. He has not taken a fall or submission since returning to the company, but you, you could definitely make this build up into a title program really quick. Uh, the match itself, it was solid. It, it was not one of the uh, great R.E.D. versus Masquerade Trios matches in my mind, but I thought that all six men were great in this match, and you know, it was a high. It was a high point on the show. No, this was the weaker crew of the R.E.D. I guess working class stable that it is. Because you look at the main event, you look at the guys there, and it's like, oh, that was a great match. I wonder why. Oh, because they they weren't being carried by BB Hulk and Kai, and plus you had the absence of La Estrella, who was in the battle royal and not in this match. So it didn't hit the high points that the R.E.D. versus Masquerade matches have hit all year but still uh, a solid one where I thought Sakamoto and Skywalker in particular worked pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. I went three and a half, and I feel like that that's probably, you, you know, it's probably the bottom end of what these uh, two groupings could do, but it was still very solid. And then the main event, this was the full Yamakig gun team of Yamato, Dragon Kid, Binkei, and Keisuke Akuda versus the R.E.D. team of Ada, uh, Kaido Ishida, Hip Hop Kakuda, and Diet Inferno, of course, uh, Yamake Gun was accompanied by Tatsuya Oiwa, and R.E.D. was accompanied by Hiroki. The fall was ca- was Keisuke Akuda pinning the uh, Inferno after the lights out in 18 minutes and 55 seconds. And I I gotta say the interactions with the K1 guys, it was something where I was like, oh, they're gonna get involved. I hope this is any good. It turned out to be like really funny. Uh, I uh, what did you think about Hiroki's box attack? I think that's the the most vicious box attack we've ever seen. Dragon Gate dipping into the proverbial pure sports build, and I love to see it. I I love that these K one guys are hanging around. This is something that you know I don't I don't have any clue if it's rep. Uh, I uh, what's the word I'm looking for? If it's if the Japanese audience cares about it is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I don't know how they feel about it, but it's over with me. I really like that they're involved, and I thought their interactions were super fun. I I really. Really like this match. I, I said to Mike before we started recording, you know, I wasn't sure if this was a great match on its own or if it was just a great match compared to kind of the lethargic and uninspired card that we had seen before this. But I, I, I have come to the conclusion I think it was a great match on its own. I'm right at four stars with it, which uh, I believe was my only four-star match in Dragon Gate in February because I did not have one at the Cork and Hall show. So this was the match of the month. And not only did the K1 guy stick out to me, but... My God, the Yamato and Hip Hop Kakuta interaction. Kakuta has been really impressive lately. It seemed like he kind of took a back seat towards the end of last year with the SBK mega push into the start of this year. But in February, he kind of reminded me, oh, that's right. He's a hoss. He's a tank. There's a reason I compared him to Shingo Takagi upon the first few months of his career. I'm into the Hip Hop Kakuta, and I thought he tore it up with Yamato in this match. You see, I was actually, Dai Inferno was the person on the R.E.D. side that really impressed me because he's kind of aimless with his rival uh, Dragon Daya out, and he's someone you can easily plug in and he can take falls here, but I thought that he had great interactions with fall of Yamake Gun, and I thought that 
this was, I think, the first time that all four of Yamake Gun have tagged together. And I felt like that they had pretty solid chemistry with this. And, and I, I went four stars flat. I thought this was a really fun main event. Mike, something that we neglected to do last week, and it's my fault, I should have reminded you, but we did not give an MVP of the week last week. And I think before we start previewing the week to come, we we review the show. Let's hit our MVP from last week. If you can dig through your notes and, rem- and remind yourself. Oh, I've got the notebook. To, oh, I've got the see, notebook right here. See, Mike Spears comes to a podcast prepared. Say what you want about this guy. He's always got the notebook with him. And let's give our MVP for this week as well. So who do you have? So last week, I probably, for the Kyoto shows, gosh, I really did not care for a lot on these shows. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to say a, Jason a reason Lee. We forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just going to say Jason Lee because he is the entering MVP of the year so far in Dragon Gate. I feel like Jason Lee would have been my MVP of last week. For me, it was Hip Hop Kakuta. I talked quite that's a fair. bit about him. Yeah, I, I thought he really jumped off the screen and made me go, oh, shit, that's right. I love this guy. Yeah, no, it, it's something that we were seeing some stuff, some pretty special stuff between the, these guys and the younger guys stepping up. Uh, this week, I'm going to give it to Konamawa Chikawa. Oh, because... damn it. That's what I was going to do. <laughs> it's a unanimous selection. I mean, how can't you pick someone who's so dominant in his selected match? As soon as that winning streak concludes, I will no longer have patience for those battle royals. But as long as he's doing it, I am into it. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase 
by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Yeah, I'm totally all right with that. So let's run down the cork. And we talked a little bit about it uh, before the show review. It is on the Dragon Gate Network with English commentary. It is on March 4th, 1800 Japanese Standard Time. I believe that puts that at 4 a.m. for the East Coast. So I'm going to run down the card case, and then we can talk about the matches itself. Opener is eight-man tag team match. It is the full complement of Natural Vibes, KZ, Susumu, Ginky, and UT versus the unaffiliated team of Don Fuji, Shuji Kondo, Gamma, and Yosuke San Maria. Match two are the Double Dragons, Ultimo Dragon, Bukutomo Dragon versus Diamante and Kazuma Sakamoto. Match three, single fall four-way tag team match. Masaki Mochizuki and Takashi Yoshida versus Yazushi Kanda and Kenichiro Rai versus Bensuke of Keisuke Akuda and Benke versus BB Hulk and Hyo. Match four, it is the full complement of Masquerade versus R.E.D., Shin Skywalker, Kota Minonora, Jason Lee. Actually, no, I, I take that back. It's not the full complement there. Uh, where is Lostre? Lostre is not booked on the show. He's not on the show. I was going to ask you if you knew what was up because I do not. No, no. Uh, I That did not know that until this until i read this card right here so it is three fourths of masquerade and kakatora versus eita kaido ishida hip-hop kakuda and die inferno and then the double main events we have special singles matches dragon kid versus sb kento and yamato versus kai and of course the big plot thing on the show is yamake gun will officially reveal their name and their colors and we will know them from now as that new unit so <sighs> I mean, I'm looking at this, and we have two straight-up comedy matches to start off the showcase, right? Like, you have Don Fuji, Gamma, and Yosuke San Maria. Uh, poor Shuji Kondo, he, he's not supposed to come into work today. Like, he has to deal with that. And then Double Dragons versus Diamante and Kazuma Sakamoto, I don't have much of... I, I don't really have much enthusiasm with it. The, the Double Dragon bit was funny for, like, a little bit. Now I'm kind of just over it. And then... I mean, the rest of the card, I mean, the four-way and the eight-man tag are going to be the things that probably determine that this is a strong work rate card or not, right? Yeah, because, you know, match one, the silver lining there is that you're going to get UT versus Kondo, and I think maybe they can kind of section themselves off from the comedy that will ensue, uh, especially with Horiguchi in there with Gamma and Yosuke Santa Maria, but I think if we get some UT Kondo interactions, that could be worthwhile. The Double Dragon stuff, I you know, I get it. I am losing patience for it, but yeah, I still, I still, I still pop for it. But not against Diamante and Sakamoto. It's unfortunate that that is the pairing there. But what can you do? And then as I, Mike, you catch that voice crack there. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say anything. I wasn't going to say anything. I was going to let My it slide. Goodness, I am a growing boy, Mike Spears. Let me tell you, you know, this is uh, it's not easy being me. And that four way tag. I mean, th- there's no reason this match can't totally over-deliver because you've got the Mochizuki and Yoshida against Hulk stuff at play. You've got Akuda versus Hiyo. 
throw in some Ben K versus Mochizuki interaction. God forbid some Ben K versus Kenichiro Arai interaction because Ben K might break him in half. But there's a lot of stuff to like there. So if we get that four-way tag to over-deliver, or even just, you know, the three-and-a-half star mark, I think is a, is a very fair uh, net rating to put on that. I think that could be very fun. And then the eight-man tag, I mean... There's there's no reason that match can't be great. It it really comes down to who we were talking about earlier. It depends on what Kagatora brings to the table in that match because we've seen not this exact RED pairing, I don't believe, but we've seen RED A-teams versus Masquerade with La Estrella, and we know that delivers literally every single time. The variable here is Kagatora, and if he does not deliver here, I am not going to be a happy man. Yeah, at that point, then, we go from maybe we should part ways to... Uh... Just kick him out. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry to be so mean to Kagatora as a guy, again, who's had some of my favorite Twin Gate matches of all time. It's just where where I feel like he is right now. And, you know, I I, I look at this double main event, as we were talking about earlier, as kind of the first steps towards Dead or Alive. Like, I fully figure that these four guys will be in Dead or Alive. So, you know, it's just going to kind of build towards that. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I think that... Kid and Kento could have a... They had a really nice stretch in that uh, disbands match, so I have pretty high faith for that. And then Yamato and Kai, when they, like, decide to slug, as long as they don't, like, just completely just shenanigans it up, this should be a fun main event as well. But it's, it's just a very... Like, we get our preview stuff for Champion Gate, but the rest of the card, I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, well, this is a Corkin. I don't think we've seen SPK in a singles match since October when he went to a 15-minute time limit draw with Takedo Kame. Uh, this is yeah. this is a unique opportunity for him. I think he's going to crush it, and I'm looking forward to that match. I hope, you know, I, I know there's going to be a lot of story, and I know there's going to be RED interference and, and this and that, and I, and I come into the match expecting that and, and to an extent welcoming it because I think they can, you know, do something very interesting with it. The question is going to be, can it be a great match? And and I think this car needs that. And I, I'm curious, from your perspective, for these two main events, do you have any, I guess, booking prediction? I mean, do you have any idea how these matches are going to go? Because like I've been saying this entire show, I, I just, I have no feel for these. I mean, I would be surprised if we get conclusive finishes to both of these. I think that at least one of them, I wouldn't be surprised if SB Kinto goes for the mask. And I wouldn't be surprised if Kai just outright just eventually R.E.D. attacks the referee and gets disqualification. Like, I'd be stunned if both these matches go to a clean decision. I think the mask rip DQ is a very safe bet in the SPK Dragon Kid match. I am leaning towards the idea of getting some sort of clean, now not conclusive, but some sort of clean finish in the Yamato Kai match. What I'm hoping is that that serves its purpose as the blow-off singles match, and then they can continue this program throughout Dead or Alive, which I guess we should say we don't know for sure that they're doing a cage match in Aichi this year, but we do know when the cage match was announced for Dangerous Gate last year, which was in Tokyo, a bunch of fans in Aichi were like, hey, what the fuck, that's our cage match, what are you guys doing? (laughs) So I'm assuming, given the Dragon Gate customer service relationship that they have with their fans, that Aichi is getting a cage match this year, and I think it's a very safe bet to assume that the four guys in these two final matches are going to be involved. I I, I just, I want good matches on this show. I think that's the one thing 
that I feel has been lacking a little bit, because, you know, I love the Twin Gate match at the start of the year, the Jason Lee shining performance, but comparatively to 2020, when it just seemed like, man, every card, we were getting one great match, if not two. This year has been a little lacking, and, and I would like to see, especially after what I thought was a weaker Cork and Hall outing in February, I would really like to see them hit the ground running and then go into a huge weekend. You know, no matter what Dragon Gate does this weekend, they're not going to have the spotlight on them because they're going to be dealing with, you know, at least in the Western fan base, they're going to be dealing with Shaq and then they're going to be dealing with the AEW pay-per-view. I would like to think, though, that they can at least share some of those headlines, but for them to do that, it's going to be a work rate headline draw, and I really think they need that as they enter their hot period for this year. And it's going to be hard for them natively to get much of a buzz because as we're recording, in about five hours is the start of Budokan show. So that's going to get like Shoe Pro, like that, that's going to get that coverage. And, you know, it's just one of those things that, and I think that's a kind of a good way to kind of transition into talking about Champion Gate. It does seem like, like as you've been saying over the last few weeks, there's this tremendous disconnect between the international fans and the native fans, especially towards the Dreamgate match. But it it's something where like there's there's enough there that I find it pretty interesting, and I feel like that coming into the show, we it, there's Red in every single one of these matches. Red now has it's they're coming up on their third or. Is it their fourth birthday they're coming up on, or is it their third birthday they're coming up on, Kiz? It was 2018, so you do the math there. Buddy, I'm on 12 hours sleep over the last three days with a puppy. Okay, well, so. 2019 is a year, 2000, it'll be three years. Three years, yeah, but, so I was right the first time. we're yeah. on year six of a red, black, and yellow-themed heel unit. You know, Berserk formed in August of 2015, and we still haven't seen an aesthetic change despite the talent turnover, a unit oh, yeah. led by Shingo and T-Hawk with Kotoka kind of stealing the show at some point, despite the talent turnover of the original Berserk to now, the aesthetic is still the same. And that's the one thing that just, I, I just want, I want something new. I want a heel to come out wearing blue or something just to change things up a little bit because I mean, God, you know, I, I we talked about it on our Dragon USA shows. I started following this promotion in real time in 2013, and then by 2014, I wasn't missing a show. Like my, my almost my entire time watching this promotion has been with a red, black, and yellow themed heel unit, and I would just like to see things shaken up a little bit. But as we get into this Champion Gate preview, I'll ask you the question up top. And, and as we're recording, we only have the four title matches, but that's that's all we need. The Champion Gate yeah. undercards are always fascinating because they're, they're just a little weird. And I, I like the booking there, but we don't have those matches. We just have the stuff that really matters. You mentioned REDs in all four matches. Do you think RED sweeps the table? You know, it's interesting you bring that up because that reminds me of the final gate where blood warriors had all the titles going into 2012. And yes. like, that was like such a moment, the mall holding up the titles and then quickly blood warriors fell apart. And it is something that like, they like to do be reflective in some manner. So I can't dismiss it out of hand, but looking at some of the, the challengers and looking at some of the champions, I would be stunned if they walk away with no belts. But I think that though. I think that the safest uh, option is that they retain the Twin Gates and nothing else. 
Yeah. I, I'm going to I'm going to vary a little bit and we can kind of go match by match. I think if they were going to sweep, we would have seen the Brave Gate and the Twin Gate together on the first night and then the Triangle Gate with the Dream Gate on the second night because look, if night 1 ends with Hip Hop Kakuta Dia Inferno and Diamante holding the Triangle Gate belts, and Hiyo steals that Brave Gate title. I I would be putting all my money on Ashida and the Red tandem winning the the belts on the next night. So I I just I don't see that happening. But if we come on the show next week, and again we've got all heel champions, it's not going to surprise me. No, no, not at all. And it's something where. I like this R.E.D. Goon Squad. I guess, like, well, which title match should we talk about first here? Well, let's, I mean, let's start. Let's go in order. Let's go the Triangle Gate, the Brave Gate, the Twin Gate, and the Dream Gate. So, as I was about to say, I like this R.E.D. Goon Squad. Like, the idea that these are all, like, the big boys that, other than Kazuma Sakamoto out there. But it with natural vibes and them being this long-tenured former Triangle Gate champion team and... With like, it seems like that this is a comfort unit in a way. I I I'm excited to see what Diamante does to UT, not UT KZ. I think KZ and Diamante could have some really interesting stuff there. Hip Hop Kakuda being involved, I think Hip Hop Kakuda and Susumi Yokosuka can do something real interesting. And then I think no one will probably sell the Die Inferno bite more than Ginky Horiguchi. So there's aspects of this match I really like, but. When it comes down to it, I'm of the opinion that it's going to be a natural vibes or uh, retaining the belts. Yeah, don't sleep on this match. If this is one that hasn't really registered with you yet, think about the pairings in this match. Obviously, the natural vibes team is going to deliver, but who have we been raving about on the heel side for the past few months now, with the exception of Ashida, who's in a big singles match? It's been Kakuta, Inferno, and Diamante. I think these teams line up awesome with one another. I think Natural Vibes is going to retain. I think you're right. Just because, you know, for as weird as Triangle Gate booking is, and although I wish they would handle the belts differently than they do, you know, it's a little hard for me to be like, oh, yes, our Open the Triangle Gate champions, Hip Hop, Kakuta, Diamante, and Dia Inferno. Of course that makes sense. I mean, even for a hodgepodge Triangle Gate team, that seems a little bit extreme. So I don't see them winning the match, but is it fair to say this could could easily be the match of the weekend? I mean, it. I think Ashida and Shin have some, some, such chemistry that that would be a hard, uh, it would be a hard hill for it to climb to be honest. Like, I have no aspirations that the Twin Gate match will be some great match because of, as I said before, the, the, the goodness of that match is going to be how much Masaki Mochizuki we get in that match, and he's only one of four. And the Brave Gate, like, it's going to be sleazy, but it's going to be Okuda being the angriest man alive. So it, it's one of these two matches, and it's something that something will have to fall flat, I feel like, the Dream Gate match for the Triangle Gate match to be the match of the weekend, in my opinion. I think that's fair. I, I think you're I, I I can't say you're wrong. I think you're underselling the Triangle Gate match a little bit. I, I wish this was the main event. Because I, I think the Brave Gate match would work better not closing the show, and I think the Triangle Gate match would be better suited to close the show. So I'm bummed at yeah. the match order there. But oh no 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 no. I'm incorrect. I'm incorrect. I was reading the Gaiora website wrong. I believe the Triangle Gate match is going on last, which in that point, get into it. I am into this Triangle Gate match. 
Yeah, no, it, it, it's something that, like, the more I think about this match, the more I'm enthused about it. And if I were to rank the four matches here, it would probably be number two for me, you know? Oh, and, absolutely. And I think the, the closer that I get to Saturday when it's happening is the more I'm going to, like, get hyped up for it. So I, I think you're totally right about that, and I think that's pretty a fair thing to say. So unless you have anything else to add on, uh, Keisuke Okuda versus Hio. This is not a match that I would have expected at Champion Gate 2020. And I, it's going to be really, it's going to be a really cool match. It's going to be a real interesting match. It is probably going to be the most shenanigans heavy match on the, on the weekend, I would say. Mike, do you remember, and stick with me on this comparison, it is going to seem bonkers at first. Do you remember probably five, six years ago now, the Minoru Suzuki versus Yoshihiro Takeyama GHC title match in Cork and Hall? No, no, I don't. I, okay. I, 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 like, Noah is one of those things that I acknowledge that exists and I dip in, in and out of, but Minoru Suzuki's uh, run in Noah as of late, is, this is during the Suzuki Gun invasion, right? This is during the Suzuki Gun invasion. This was yeah, I hand waved that. Uh, this is around the time that I checked out. This was actually their 15th anniversary show, now that I'm looking at it. July 18th, 2015, match number two on this show, uh, Nakanishi versus Quiet Storm. Have fun with that. Uh, but I bring this match up because it was a well post prime Yoshihiro Takeyama against Minoru Suzuki, who you know I I thought kind of got exposed in Noah. Quite honestly, I did not enjoy his time there. But what they did was they took every shortcut imaginable. They worked a GHC title match like they were doing the Tennessee two-step with Lawler in Memphis. And I'll be damned if they didn't have an awesome match right until the finish when I thought they finally went overboard with the shenanigans and the interference, and it ended up sucking out my enjoyment of the match. But for a large portion of that match, I was in on that story. I was believing the magic. I couldn't believe what they were doing. In my mind, I was buying that Takayama was going to get the gold watch of all gold watch runs, and they were going to have him be Noah's savior. Did not happen. Minoru Suzuki won the match. I compare that to this, where I really think Yo's character is so well-defined, Kaisuke Akuda's character is so well-defined, we've seen Akuda be able to have fun to not, you know, for as much as we like the dumb jock wrestler Kaisuke Akuda, he can do comedy spots in a way that I don't think damages his aura. And I think he's actually very good at doing them. It's not like comedy Kurt Angle where it's like, well, I just want to see this guy just break people's ankles. Why is he wearing the cowboy hat? It's like, no, Akuda maintains uh, legitimacy while also being sucked into either the Punch Tamanaga challenges or what we've seen him do with Hyo so far. And I think this match is going to be utterly absurd. I think it is going to be a train wreck and a car crash, and it's going to be Crash TV coming to Drangate. And I really think it could be great. And the reason I think it could be great is that I really can't rule out the idea of Hyo winning this title. I made the Kotoka comparison last week where... Uh, what, was it Tozawa, Shisa, and Kotoka? Was that the match? I thought it was Tanian. Uh, maybe. Well, well, no, well I, I can figure it out. I, I don't know what we have to guess, because there would have been two heels in that match then, and I don't think that was the case. But, you know, when Kotoka won the Open the Bravegate title, 
uh, which it was... It, wow, you're right. It was Tanazaki. Wow. A triple threat match. Kotoka, Akira to, uh, Tozawa, and Naoki Tanazaki. Like, no one expected Kotoka to win that match. And then he did. And it was just this mind-blowing... Like, especially because that was Tozawa's Brave Gate run. And I think people really championed him around that time period. It's like, this is our guy. He's making the Brave Gate relevant. Look at him go. I know it's early in Akuta's reign. But, you know... I think it's a 50-50 match. I, I don't know. Who who are you predicting to come out of this weekend with the Brave Gate Championship? I think... I'm leaning towards Akuda only because this is kind of the first title shot for Hio. He's been winning through Scumbag Manners, and it is something that they could do a nice thing of like, oh, the Scumbag finally got his comeuppance. And especially with Yamake Gun forming, and that being the Super Face unit. And that's really the only super face uh, match in the titles for this weekend. I'm leaning towards Okuda, but I, I totally can see how, like, there is going to be so many shenanigans. It could fall in place and be, like, one of those things. It's like, hey, this is a Dragon Gate classic kind of match where there is a lot of, like, shenanigans here. If you're not down with Dragon Gate shenanigans, you are not going to like this match, whereas Dragon Gate fans will be like, that was extremely what I wanted. So I, I think I'm leaning Okuda just only because... I, unless you're going to finally do the Bensuke run, I, I guess you can start doing the Bensuke run and have Bensuke versus the uh, whoever comes out of the Twin Gate match. So, yeah, no, you're kind of talking me into this being a coin flip. For the sake of being different, let me say, yo, if he wins, let me take my victory lap next week. I, I really do think it's 50-50, and I think you have the out there if you start moving away from whatever this Yoshida versus Mochizuki storyline is going to be, the Twin Gate Challenger, sorry, the Twin Gate Champions, which I guess I, I gave away my prediction there that I think Hulk and Kai are going to retain. You gotta have you gotta have new challengers, and Benskate would certainly fit that bill. Well, I guess then let's get into the Twin Gate match because I'm completely diametrically opposed to you. I think that we'll have new champions because that that way when we move into the hot season, the belts are off them. You could have a Twin Gate match at at, at Wakayama and at uh, Dead or Alive with. Uh, Bensuke in that in that particulars there and also I just don't think that what do you do with Takashi Yoshida and Masaki Mochizuki if they lose like Yoshida's not going to turn heel again like it, it it seems like that they've completely moved away from that and now watch him turn heel again I just can't <laughs> I it, it's just one of those things that like it gives Mochizuki something to do and it, it seems like it's we're at a point now where we're going to now really hyper focus in on Kai and Yamato going into Dead or Alive and I I have no point to combat that uh, because that's exactly it. What do you do with Mochizuki and Yoshida if they lose this match? I, you know, the question is, what do you do if they win the match, though? Do they just eat up another RED team after this? Because I think that's a unit that, or I guess that's a tandem, rather, that needs strong heel opposition if they're going to be champions. You know, I don't know if a Mochizuki and Yoshida versus Horiguchi and Susumu, just to throw two names out there, I don't know if that title match would make a lot of sense. I think they need to be wrestling heels, and I think they can do that if, you know, either they, they join Team Boku, which I think would be a waste of their talents, or if they pop into, uh, you know, another unit. I just, I don't know what the long-term plan for them is, but that goes back to the point I've been making the entire show. I don't know what the plan is. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of this match. And it 
it, I, I feel like the match itself we've kind of kind of talked to death on the quality of it probably will be reliant on how much most Suzuki got but it's fascinating because how it could kind of play into the rest of it you know how everything will come into place because because I, I do really feel like that we are on the the road to the nebulous hot season really starts this week and I feel like that some pieces will come into place and I think that at least me personally, and I totally get what you're saying there about then you have to deal with like, okay, what's the next R.E.D. or heel unit that would face uh, the buddy cop tag team. But I just, I don't know. It's interesting to me. I, I, I'm really, I'm really fascinated by the time in Dragon Gate. And that, that's, it, it's something that like, when we talk about like how we were just, I don't even want to say like we were bored by the last few weeks shows. It's just one of those things that I, and it's something I always tell people. It's like, Usually the first two weeks in Dragon Gate's year are very, very slow and things kick up with Champion Gate. So Yeah, no, it, it it's all been building to this. I think the title matches have been really well built. I think the Dreamgate match, which we're about to talk about, I think things could have been done a little bit differently to make Ashita look like a more credible challenger. But when it comes to the Brave Gate match, Triangle Gate match, and Twin Gate match, I have no issues there. Yeah, yeah. And it's when you look at Shun versus Ishida, it's something where we've seen the face-offs. They've been very solid in the face-offs. And I guess like the big question is, is when do they stop have when they get off the Shun train? Because as soon as they get off the Shun train, he moves back down the card and Masquerade kind of becomes the new age Jimmy's in a way. So I think he retains. Do you think Ishida wins the belt on Sunday? Well, what I was told last week when I reached out to someone in Japan to try to get a feel for how this match was going to go, they said to me that the Japanese fans don't even entertain the idea of Ishida winning. That is just they know it's not going to happen, which was shocking to me because I was really starting to buy into the idea of Ishida possibly winning this match. But removing myself even from the intel I got from someone in Japan, yeah, I think it's... It's a bit of an uphill battle here uh, for Kaito Ishida. I really think Shun Skywalker not only needs to win, but I think he needs it to be a great match. If this, if this even falls in at three and three quarters, or a, you know, a gentleman's four, if you dare to say such a thing exists, yeah. uh, I just I don't see how that benefits Skywalker. And I think at that point you really have to get the wheels in motion to get the title off of him. But if this delivers, which by all means it should, and I recommend people go on the Dragon Gate Network and rewatch their match from January of 2019, Cork and Hall, the finals of the rookie ranking tournament. It's on there. I just rewatched it a few days ago. It's an unbelievably great match. It plays up everything we've been screaming about Ashita and how good he is at certain things over the past year, year and a half, two years. And it is the exact reason that Shun Skywalker is now in the position he's in. I don't think he really had a chance to showcase that in the Ada match. I don't think he had to showcase uh, a chance to showcase that in the Ben K match, although he was close, and just the finish kind of threw everything off, because that was on his right. way to being a great match. So what we have here is a real break-or-make moment for Shun Skywalker. Kaito Ishida is going to be fine. I really do think he can be, if not a 1A main eventer one day, a 1B main eventer. I really think he can be a top-of-the-line guy. Shun Skywalker, though, he needs to deliver here. I think he will, and I think he'll retain. Yeah, and it's something where we, we are looking at, like, in, in the way I look at this year, there's two Kobe worlds, 
And I think it's we're now at a time where it, it's worth kind of considering what they're going to be doing because they're going to have a someone who's going to be at the top of the line to sell tickets at Kobe World. And I am not of the belief that Shun Skywalker is that person. Now, I don't think he loses here. I think that this is kind of like when remember when Benkei got the flash knockout of Masaki Mochizuki and that played into his Champion Gate title shot. Yes, that's. That's kind of what I feel like this match is going to be. It, it, it's the one that you get the key under his belt. So he's no longer going to be someone that's coming in completely with zero championship at, attempts. So I think which you can accomplish Which is a- the point you made to me a few weeks ago. Sorry to cut you off there. But the point you made to me a few weeks ago is, hey, look at just how few guys have won the Dreamgate belt in their first offense. I mean, off the top of your head, do you remember who has? Yamato, Eita. And I know there are others, but I'm blanking on them at the moment. That's okay. I mean, that's that's exactly the thing. You know, you look at Yamato and Eita. Those are the two perfect names to throw out there, actually. Yamato, who is the undoubted ace of the company, and Eita, who, you know, it seems like they really tried to at some point get him into that position for as much as I love Kaito Ishida, for as much as you love Kaito Ishida, for as over as Kaito Ishida was when fans could make noise, and that's really important to remember that this guy was getting such loud crowd calls right before the pandemic. For as over as he was then, for as much as we like him, he's not Yamato, he's not Eita, and I've talked myself off of that ledge. You've helped. Congratulations. You've been a, a first responder to this Open the Dreamgate <laughs> crisis that well, Kaito Ishida like, is not winning the belt here. Well, like, and, and the reason why I brought up Kobe World is like that, because I'm of the belief, and I'm going to say this now, so when this happens, case I can take my victory lap. There we go. I think that Yamato is going to regain the belt before Kobe World, or he'll be challenging for the belt on night one of Kobe World. Yeah, it's been four years since he's been in the Dreamgate picture. He's getting this super face unit. It's really he getting hard younger. To he's no, he's not. Uh, so, yeah, I, uh, you know, my, my hope is that we can come on the show next week. And we can go, okay, I think here's what's going to happen at Dead or Alive. This will feed into King of Gate. This will feed into Kobe World. And we can at least have mm-hmm. a loose prediction going on. Because, again, right now it's just the Wild West. And I have no feel for this. If Ashita wins and Akuda wins and the natural or, you know natural vibes lose and all my predictions are wrong, so be it. I can live with that because, like I've been saying this whole show, I don't have a feel for anything going on right now. I'm hoping we get a little bit more clarity. I think, you know, possibly Kagatora joining Masquerade. I think naming the Super Face unit, and I think having these title matches, which they've been building to all year, I think are going to really help us out. So it's a huge week for Drangate. I'm looking forward to it. I think all three shows, just knowing what we know, have a potential to be great. I hope at the very least they're very entertaining. Yeah, yeah. And as you said earlier, these undercards, when they put them together, I suspect that when if with the show being on Thursday, they're not going to have the undercards out until after that cork and to begin with. And it, there could be some really fun stuff on those undercards. And there's usually are some like interesting things. I mean, nothing can surpass Yuki Oshioka versus Gamma. But... <laughs> well, well, you're going to have to do something with Ishida and Skywalker on night one. My guess yeah. is that they're going to throw Ishida in a singles match. And I, I, you know, I hope it's something really fun. I hope it's something really wacky. We obviously don't have anything for SBK and Dragon Kid at this point on the Champion Gate shows. So we don't know a lot right now, but I trust their direction there putting together those cards. We don't have anything for Eita. I could very easily see having Dragon Kid, uh, Yamato, uh, Binke versus Eita. 
SB Kento and uh, I'm blanking on, on Kazuma Sakamoto. I could see that happening How very easily. How crazy is that, by the way? And that's not even a dig at Ata because I, I no, don't think no. he's done anything wrong. And, and actually, he's been booked about as strong as anyone in Dragon Gate this year has. He is uh, over 500 in his total matches this year, a winning percentage of, of .522. Thank you to Chris Sampsa at Sport of Pro Wrestling for hooking me up with some Dragon Gate stats a few days ago. You will see uh, a detailed preview from myself of the Kaito Ishida versus Shun Skywalker match over at VoicesOfWrestling.com later this week. I hope, I guess we're recording this on Tuesday, and I am now just realizing there's not too many days left in the week. But <laughs> uh, keep it locked in, VoicesOfWrestling.com all week. We will have uh, reviews of the Cork and Hall show on Thursday, reviews of Champion Gate, uh, and I will try... I will try to have that Cork and Hall review done on Thursday, and if not posted, then then posted Friday morning. And then uh, Mike and I are still figuring out Champion Gate coverage, but everything there will be a voiceofwrestling.com. And then we'll obviously be back here next Tuesday to break down everything that happened in audio form to have some more big picture takes after the instant reaction reviews. And, and you know, uh, closing us out, I'm taking a look at the rest of the month. We have a Kyoto show. We have a Sambo show. We have, Then we have Memorial Gate. So we only have like, essentially 20 days after sunday until memorial gate so i mean things are going to come at us hot and heavy not as hot and heavy as they posted the may schedule i was going to ask you if you saw the may schedule holy shit uh we will be if you thought that we were fried before when they were doing five shows in seven days they have uh they have three televised shows on the may 1st through 3rd then dead or live on the 5th they're back on that traditional holiday kobe world on the 7th sambo hall on the 9th Doubleheader across Fukuoka. They're actually having two separate days. It's not a day night time. And then the triple shot that they usually have in May in Hokkaido. And it's a lot. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be a really interesting time. And before we go, Kiss, what is the one thing you want to see happen at Champion Gate this weekend? Uh, <laughs> this will be very selfish of me. I want a, at least a four and a half star match in my notebook by the end of the week. I want to. And. Shout out to friend of the show, Adam Sanderson. I want to see the Bobby Hill special, and, and I want to see like the reaction when Okuda like either catches the kick and goes "screw you" or he takes that bump. Like that's the thing I'm looking forward to most. Adam Sanderson. Adam Sanderson, such a nice guy. Uh, I really enjoyed, and he just showed up in our mentions one day. I was like, ah, I really like this guy. Uh, Final thought for the show, you know, that, that May schedule, there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I think there's twelve, eleven or twelve live shows that we're gonna get on the Drangate Network in May. And that is obviously King of Gate season, which we, you know, had the abridged empty arena King of Gate last year. I should note the first week of May. Uh, Mike, my school did not give me a spring break this year because of COVID. So they gave us the first week of May off, and then we finish our semester the second week of May. It's they gave you Golden Week. You got your own Golden <laughs> they Week. Basically, gave us Golden Week. Now that you say that, uh, I think they're calling it like 
Maker's Week to follow okay. your. I, I don't know what bullshit they're gonna make me do. It's gonna just be something cringe. that it's just, just like, cringe. Yeah, it's something where it's like, hey man, I'm almost at the finish line. Can we just wrap this up? Uh, you know, I'll still be working obviously, so I don't think I can totally live on Japanese Standard Time that week. But what a great week to not have to worry about school with an Osaka <laughs> show, two Kyotos, Dead or Alive, and a May Cork and Hall show, which is likely going to be the start of King of Gate. That is a loaded week if there's ever been one. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of my undergrad, Elon, goes on a 414, so there's a January semester, and the January semester is always like, go towards your interests, go do a quick study abroad, go do a quick internship. And I took one year the assassination of JFK as seen through film. <laughs> you know, my, my school, our spring semester begins the last week of January, and my first two years here, it was, we always started later than other schools, but we still, you know, we're starting around mid-January. I have a friend, though, whose dad teaches at the school, and I asked her, I was like, hey, why did they move the start of the semester back? Like, we just don't have school in January anymore, basically, and the working theory that she surmised with her dad was that kids at my school are just too depressed in January and that this school has just decided to punt that month. Like, my winter break has always been, like, six or seven weeks long. It's insane. We get out in the middle of December, and, again, we don't go back until the end of January. And it's, like, this weird time. It's just – there. it's not a – it's not an easy time to fill stuff with. It's an awkward amount of time to be free. But the working theory, the best explanation I have is they're like, look, we've tried having school in January. Trust us. It's just easier to start anew in February and to just act like that month never happened. No, I respect that. I respect that. I mean, that, that's embracing the Zoomer mentality. And I think that's a pretty smart thing. But okay, so is there anything else you want to hit on before we got out of here? No, no, that's it. All right, so we'll be back next Tuesday for recapping these big three shows. We'll have coverage on VoicesWrestling.com of some fashion or other. I know Case has been working on that Shun Skywalker versus Kaido Ishida match, uh, a match preview uh, article for a while, and I'm really excited to see it myself. So for Case, I'm Mike, and thank you for listening to the VoiceGate. We'll be back with you next time. Take care. <laughs>